Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, and sitting across from me in the virtual studios in his own home studio of Portland, Oregon, is the man who personally tests every Lazy Boy recliner before it's shipped out from the factory, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Hey, Ken. What a great job that is, too. But but honestly, most of the time I fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) I just hope they don't carry me out in one of the loads when they when they're shipping it to someone and box you up. Get I'm in there. Somebody gets yeah. a, they get a lovely new recliner and a dynamic deacon at the same time. That's good value. <laughs> Great value for your relaxing dollar. <laughs> Fantastic. So what's going on at ND? Deacon, we are through the magic of radio actually recording this, and I am in Italy uh, on pilgrimage with our students. So, uh, you know, what are you seeing there? Yeah. So uh, we are taking students on pilgrimage. Some of our Danicola Center uh, for Ethics and Culture, the Center for Ethics and Culture Soren Fellows, we are taking on pilgrimage to Rome and to Assisi, uh, also visiting Orvieto. So we're having mass in the cathedral in Orvieto where the um, Corporal of Bolsena is uh, located. And that is the um, Eucharistic miracle that actually inspired the feast of Corpus Christi in the church. So St. Thomas Aquinas spent time in Orvieto praying before the Corporal of Bolsena, which was a, a 13th century miracle in which the host bled onto the corporal. Uh, And it was a a priest who was celebrating mass who uh, had doubts about his faith and the Eucharistic species, the host actually bled. Uh, And uh, this corporal was preserved and is actually still seen and is displayed a couple times a year at the cathedral in Orvieto, which is a hilltop town. So so we're seeing Eucharistic miracles. Then we're going to Assisi. We're going to uh, spend time praying, of course, at the uh, at the great shrine and the Basilica of St. Francis and of St. Clair, and also seeing Blessed Carlo Acutis, uh, you know, the, um, the great devotee, the young, uh, the young Catholic saint who was a great devotee of the Eucharist, who assembled this wonderful um, traveling display of Eucharistic miracles around the world. And he is actually um, buried. He's incorrupt. And so we're looking forward to praying before the uh, tomb of uh, Blessed Carlo Acutis. Uh, Where is he? He's in Assisi. In Assisi? He's in Assisi. No way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I did not know that. I'm not, oh, that might have to definitely check it out yep. if I get a chance to get back there. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's I'm really great. looking forward to that. I mean, uh, you know, he was just... Uh, just added to the uh, to the uh, you know altar, kind of the honors of the altar, just in the last two years, and so this is really exciting. One of the youngest and newest saints in the in the church. Uh, we're really excited about that. So so really, our our pilgrimage is eucharistically centered. And we are preparing our students. This is a, a core group. There are about 26 of our fellows that are going on this trip. 
we're really preparing them for the Eucharistic revival in the United States that the bishops have called for. And so as we've been preparing to go on this pilgrimage, we've been sharing with them the bishop's document that you and I discussed for a time there on the um, kind of Eucharistic coherence, the meaning of the Eucharist in the life of the church. And we've been praying uh, a novena to prepare as we uh, have been getting ready to go. We're going to actually be in Italy uh, and be in Rome on the feast of St. John Paul II. So we actually will, our last full day in Italy will be on the feast of John Paul II on the 22nd, which is coming up here. So yeah, it's an exciting trip and uh, and we get to spend time with our, our great friend, the art historian Liz Lev, who's going to take us on a private tour of the Vatican. Vatican Museum and the Sistine Chapel in the evening after the museum closes. And so we'll be the only wow. ones in the uh, museum and, and in the Sistine Chapel. So I'm just uh, this I'm I'm over the moon because this will be my first time back to Italy since the pandemic as well. So I'm really looking forward to this. Oh, that's fantastic, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I've been we've that's been looking great. forward to it a, a lot. Trip. So, yeah, it's going to yeah, be, it's gonna be a wonderful trip. So, well, Deacon, uh, you know, last week we discussed the gift of understanding from the Holy Spirit that is poured out. It's one of those great gifts of the Holy Spirit that's poured out uh, upon us in the Sacrament of Confirmation. And uh, we want to continue our, our conversation. We're, we're getting very close to, to the end of our exploration of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because uh, we're down to just a few now. And uh, this week we're going to pick up our conversation with the gift of counsel. And uh, so I'm really excited about this because when I think of counsel, I think of a couple things, right? I think one, in the law world, we refer to uh, attorneys and lawyers as counselors, right? And so the judge will say, counsel, please approach the bench. And they will have conversation together about what direction the ongoing prosecution should take. And so counsel, to me, implies a certain amount of understanding and wisdom and direction, uh, kind of practical direction is being applied. And so that's where I come in when I hear the gift of counsel. I think of practical direction. Now, here's where you get your chance to set me straight. Maybe provide me a little counseling, Deacon. What is the gift of counsel in the church? As you mentioned, Ken, we've already covered uh, fear of the Lord, piety, knowledge, fortitude and understanding. And now we are talking about counsel. So you're right. And same thing with counsel, right? When you think about counsel, like if you have problems in your marriage, you go to a marriage counselor, right? Or mm-hmm. or uh, a clinical therapist for counseling. Or as you, you talked about counsel approach to bench, there's different words that we use for counsel. But when it comes to the gifts of the spirit, it helps us to really make uh, more clear the picture of the right course that we're we're supposed to take you know, so that we can use the gifts that God has given us to their fullest potential and uh, direct our lives to its ultimate successful conclusion, which is what life with God forever in heaven. Right. Yeah. So it, it gives us a clear picture of what direction, what course that we're supposed to take um, and to, and gives us determination, right. To get this, uh, that of the spirit, the fortitude, right. Which also works into this, uh, the strength to follow that course to its successful end. You know, and not to be deterred by, you know, because sometimes when you're going down the river of life, sometimes there's a tributary on the side. You say, oh, let's let's see what's over there. You know, we get sidetracked, but we never, even though we may get sidetracked, we want to, we never want to get off of our course, which is, again, leading us to uh, live with God face to face 
forever in heaven, right? The beatific vision, that's the goal. Yeah. So counsel is clearly related in some ways then to the virtue of prudence, because prudence is called, you know, the charioteer of the virtues, right? Prudence is that which which helps us apply which virtue needs to be acted upon or which one needs to be restrained in any given situation. And yet I know clearly that because we're speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit with counsel, there's something more than just prudence. Prudence is, it's a cardinal virtue, but it's not necessarily religious. Anybody can practice the virtue of prudence, but the Holy Spirit bringing counsel adds something additional. Can you maybe unpack a little bit about how those two are related? Yeah. So the gift of counsel, as you said, is joined with with prudence. So prudence guides us and allows us to discern the difference between an action that may be stupid and one that's inspired, right? Uh, So for example, when I'm preparing a homily, which I typically do before the Blessed Sacrament, right, in adoration, because I want to make sure that what I say is not what Deacon Harold wants to say. I want to make sure it's what God wants to say through the instrument of Deacon Harold. And so I'm just as frustrated as everybody else about what's going on with polit- so-called Catholic politicians and with with uh, controversies happening uh, even within the church it- itself and, and people not understanding, you know, the, the papacy of Pope Fran. I mean, all those kinds of things. I'm just as frustrated as everybody else. But when it comes to giving a homily, I have to have prudence, right? So I, I, I have to say, okay, in this context, I want to make sure that it's Jesus always has to take precedence. So, so I, I use the prudence, right? And so and then that allows the gift of counsel because once I make a prudent decision, then I have to make sure that when I'm preaching Jesus Christ, not, not Deacon Harold. So we, it, yeah. it helps you look um, deep inside of and to uh, see that it's pride that makes us rebel. Um, it's impatience, anger, all those kinds of things. We have to put those things in check. And really focus on the power of God's love. Um, we, again, which gives us the courage and, and counsel to be able to say the things we need to say that will edify people and, and to bring them into you with, with Christ and his church. There's an aspect then also of uh, self-knowledge and insight from the Holy Spirit to see things as they truly are uh, rather than... Um, you know, rather than tinged by our emotions or tinged by our passions, uh, because that's part, of course, of making an honest and uh, prudent decision. Uh, but that requires something outside of ourselves. Prudence is is an internal uh, virtue. It's something that I'm acting upon the information that I have available to me, which may or may not be col- colored by, again, by emotion or by, by uh, passion. Versus the Holy Spirit then stepping in and providing additional insight and understanding and a vision that is truly divine. And that, as you say, is also always aimed at our greater good or our our actual final end, which is union with God in heaven. And I think that that's an incredible gift that makes this actually much like prudence, as I said before, is the charioteer of the virtues, which drives the virtuous life, counsel really in a very similar way uh, maybe helps direct the other gifts uh, and, and our practice and our, our uh, 
kind of appreciation of the other gifts of the Holy Spirit, because it's going to help us figure out what is the best road right here to help achieve that ultimate end, which is, again, union with God in heaven. Yeah, because when you're when you're discerning, it's not just about, okay, here are the factors that I'm taking into consideration to help me make the right decision. We also have to say, what does God want? Right? Right. What is God's will in this decision? That's why we have to seek the counsel. It's not, for example, so if kids get ready to go to college, you're going to take into account the major, you know, what you're interested in studying, the financial aid package, <laughs> you know, uh, how far are you away from home? I mean, all those kinds of things. But I, I often wonder how much, how many young people have to stop and think, where does God want me to go? Where does God want me to be? Are we allowing God and his Holy Spirit of counsel into our conversations about where our life is being directed toward? You see, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. it makes sense. That, that's what the counsel. Okay, let me bring God into the picture and make sure that my will and God's will are one. Because when I'm bringing God into the picture, he's helping me. He wants to help me to become the person that he created me to be. He's he's encouraging me to use the gifts and talents that he's given me to their maximum and full potential, which is ultimately to honor him. So by doing what we do well, what we've been gifted to do well, we honor God, right? So Ken, you're, you're gifted uh, as a communicator, right? And so everything that you did at, at UP, University of Portland, where we both worked together, led you you know, those experiences and the, the, the wisdom and knowledge that you gained uh, help you to discern this the position when it came available at Notre Dame, right? So it wasn't just like, okay, I have the skill set that will help me be successful at this job. No, you have to uproot your family and move halfway across the country. So, now, okay, what God has to factor into that decision. Yeah. You know, you're not just doing it to glorify Ken. You're doing it to glorify God. That's that's the piece that I think that we absolutely cannot forget. Bring in the spirit, the Holy Spirit of counsel when we're making life altering and life changing decisions, um, th- whether it's priesthood, religious life, you know, um, me leaving my job, just like you left your job at UP, I left my job at UP to do that. I mean, and, and I look back in retrospect, it's like, oh, my goodness, that was the best decision I ever made. Why? Because I allow God to be part of that story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I think, um, now, of course, we, we need to bracket the fact that <laughs> that uh, not everything that we choose, it, not everything that God calls us to do is going to be easy and joyful. Yes. I mean, th- that's, that's the right. reality. Look at the cross. Right? Look at the cross. The cross. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And yet, it is ultimately directed towards salvation, our, the salvation of our yeah. souls, the salvation of the souls of our family, the salvation of, of souls of God's people. You know, God you know, so loved the world that he came and gave himself for all people, and, and he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the love of God. And so we are workers, co-workers in the vineyard, as, uh, as they say. And so, of course, yes, we, in responding to God's call in our own lives, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it does mean that it's going to fulfill our vocation. 
And that's ultimately what uh, something to keep in mind. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're entirely right that when the opportunity came to come here to Notre Dame, I spent time in prayer about it because my family and my friends and and everything that I knew and, and had built up was in the Pacific Northwest. And this did require picking up the family and moving halfway across the country and being away from my wife for three months while I came here and started my new job and she wrapped up things in in Portland, you know, and that was difficult as well. Um, and that actually kind of enters into to something too. You know, you mentioned, you know, whatever, as we're discerning what God is calling us to, as we're discerning our vocation and our particular right choice of action, it is also to listen to the voices of the people in our lives to whom we are bound. To, and that includes our spouses, you know, and that includes our, our faith community. Uh, so many people are themselves also conduits of God's, God's love and God's call in our lives, and they can help us to follow the proper counsel. They can help us to actually discern what is God calling us to in this particular, uh, in this particular decision. Um, it's not always going to be. It's a matter of fact, I'll probably pretty much rarely going to be an actual clear voice of God saying, do this. I want to ask you, you know, yourself, Deacon, because as you mentioned before, you discerned that God was calling you to leave, you know, a a secular job, although it was at University of Portland, a Catholic university, but to leave kind of the working world and to enter into full-time ministry. And that, of course, that's a great leap of faith. Because uh, you went from having a, you know, twice a month paycheck to actually rattling the tin cup and questing for your for your for your food and drink for your family. So tell me about that process and about listening to God's voice and and seeking God's counsel in your own discernment. Yeah, and this is why I always um, emphasize and encourage Eucharistic adoration. You know, I just spoke to a group of. Uh, uh, actually, it was a, a all school uh, K through eight. Oh, I love those kids. They were so wonderful, <laughs> especially the little kids. They're so funny. Um, but I was t- I was teaching them how to listen to God's voice. You know, I said through your parents and through your priests and deacons, right, and through your teachers, but also in silence. You know, and look, it's like silence. How can I listen? Because you have to listen with your ears. I'm not. No, you have to listen with your heart. I said, they were like, oh, listen with your heart. I said, well, and they, they, how would I do that? Silence and adoration. Why? Because when God speaks to your heart, he doesn't speak to your ears. You have to, you have to foster silence, encourage silence. And we're uncomfortable with silence, but it's in that silence that, I, that you hear God's voice speaking to the depths of your being, you know, so uh, to allow God in. And it was in that, in adoration you're right. It wasn't like a voice saying, leave, you know, <laughs> I wish sometimes you wish it was, you know, cause right. it'll, make, it'll make it clear, but you know, it's more of a sense of peace, more of a sense of, um, nervous excitement. Um, you know, I knew it was going to be hard. Uh, and I knew it definitely meant sacrifice for sure, especially financially in, in the beginning. You know, um, but I said, you know, I, I, this, I, why would God put this on my heart? You know, and make sure, am I doing this because I want to do it? Or am I doing this because God wants me to do it? And I, that was pretty easy, actually, because I know it wasn't me, because I'd rather have, you know, had the security 
uh, you know, uh, uh, of doing what I was doing before. But, you know, God was calling me to, to, to take my relationship with him to another place, to a different level. Um, uh, and so he kept showing me in adoration of the cross. You know, he said, you know, you, you know, uh, that's what you that's what I need you to do. I need you to to embrace the cross. I'm like, OK, you know, and that means I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but it's it's what God wants, you know, um, and, and that's what I did. And and yeah, and, and even now, you know, people say, oh, you get to go to Australia, you get to go to all these places. But that means I'm not home that as much as I'd like to be, you know, and I know that what I'm doing is impacting folks. I mean, I I had a young man uh contact me and he said he's in the he's going to be ordained a deacon next year he's in the seminary and he said it was it what solidified it for him as far as discernment was i gave a talk at his high school i don't even remember what high school it was or even where it was but he uh said you know i was thinking about the priest and then after hearing your talk it was like my heart was like on fire i was like i knew that i have to pursue this and he goes i just want to thank you because you're one of the reasons why i'm here I'm like, oh man, you know, so, so, I mean, so I know the things I'm doing are impacting people um, and that's what God wants. Right. So, but that means sacrifice. And my wife and I've been talking about this a lot, you know, uh, cause I don't want it to impact our relationship in a negative way. Yeah. So we, we purposely created situations and opportunities to be together in very meaningful ways with date nights and, you know, and all those kinds of, it's just been, it's just actually been really wonderful. It's actually drawn us closer together as a couple for sure. Wow. It's a, it's, I mean, ministry, of course, particularly the ministry of a permanent deacon in the church is a ministry of a couple. It's not just his thing. It's not just, uh, you know, the man who's ordained, but like, you know, your spouse had to consent to, and also in a way, um, her, her life is deeply affected, even if she's not the one up there preaching, even if she's not the one, you know, going to the parish and, and helping with the administration, it's still an active form in a way, perhaps, you know, that, uh, that my beloved bride, Julie is not necessarily involved in what I do here at the De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture at Notre Dame. She, you know, she comes to events, but those are purely social occasions. She's not working. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a very different way. And this is something that, you know, we think about a lot about in, in our church, the way we minister, the way ministry, um, especially for lay ministers or for, and, and for married ministers like deacons, um, is, uh, is something that we're still actually kind of trying to figure out as a church too, isn't it? I mean, it's still relatively new. Yeah, yeah. So the academic obviously goes back to Acts chapter six, and it existed in the church for for centuries, um, but then transitioned from a, a permanent order to a transitional order, and then was restored to a to a permanent order. Actually, both right per, transitional and per, and permanent during Vatican II. Uh, so yeah, so it's in its infancy, the permanent diaconate, if you will. I mean, six you know fifty years, sixty years after the council is nothing in, right. in, in the life in the life of the church. Right. So we're still discerning, still growing. I mean, I, I'm honored to have contributed to that conversation. You know, with, right. with my book, Our Life of Service, and, and many other deacons have been writing for years. So we're still developing a theology of the diaconate. We're still trying to get people in church to understand. Now, not just what deacons do functionally, but who deacons are and why they're essential to the church. 
right? Was it St. Irenaeus that said without the uh, deacons, priests, bishops, and deacons, you can't say you have a church, you know? So yeah. uh, to get people to understand, you know, uh, how we're called to serve is, is extremely gratifying and important. I actually just learned something very interesting just uh, last week, and that is that uh, the ordination class for permanent deacons here in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend this year is 19. And that's just a, an incredible wow. number, you know. Um, and so really, that's that's a great infusion of joy. You know, it's an, uh, and a recognition of, of the importance of this ministry for the life of the church. So as, as you, as St. Irenaeus may have said, uh, you know, yes, we, we need bishops, priests, and deacons in order to help uh, the sacramental life of our church, but also to, as part of the great, this is, this is part of the great um, uh, structure that the, um, the hierarchy is, is itself a reflection, too, of the relationship of, of God to creation, right, and, and direction. And um, some of this is actually kind of counsel in action, right, because we often, I, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to say that this, it's exactly the same, but when we go to reconciliation, we receive counsel from the from the priest who's hearing our confession. You know, often we'll get um, advice or direction about how to deal with a, with what we have confessed and how to begin to reform our lives so that we can avoid those occasions of sin and, and things like that. And so counsel is, again, something that we hear from others that is shared with us. And so, yeah, but that's just one kind of form of counsel. And there are lots of others. But as we've talked about tonight, um, it's kind of prudence in action with the, it's, it's prudence with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's a great gift that's poured out on our hearts uh, in the sacrament of confirmation. And so we are grateful to have this gift of counsel. But Deacon, believe it or yeah, not, absolutely, we've run out of time again. Uh, again? Again. Why does that keep happening? Well, you see, <laughs> when a deacon starts talking and a layman starts asking questions, next thing you know... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Friends, we invite you to download previous episodes of the show at com, and you can connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media. But, Deacon, we're going to pick up our conversation with, uh, again, we're getting very near the end of the gifts of the Holy Spirit here. Uh, we'll pick up our conversation next week by talking about wisdom. But until we do that, I wonder if we might have a blessing to get us through the rest of this week. May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. The man, the myth, the legend, and the man who wrote the second verse of Rob Bass's hit, It Takes Two, Ken Hellenius. Ken! <laughs> How you doing, brother? It takes two to make a thing go right. That's right. That's <laughs> you, you right. <laughs> and a lot of people know you were behind the scenes on that one, brother. Way behind the scenes. <laughs> You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com. <laughs>